Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for joining Watermark's podcast series, Women of the C-Suite, where we have the pleasure of hosting some of the most distinguished female executives anywhere about their journeys and the paths they took to get to the top. I'm Nicole Ward-Parr, and I join you with my co-host, the CEO of Watermark, Peggy Northrup. In this series, we draw out meaningful insights and candid perspectives that will help you to make your mark. Hi, this is Peggy Northrup, and I'm excited to welcome Julie Cullivan to our podcast today. Julie is an expert in technology and cybersecurity who has driven strategy for both public and private companies. Most recently, she was the Chief Technology and Chief People Officer at Forescout Technologies. That's an interesting combo that we're going to want to hear more about. Prior to that, Julie held executive positions at some of the biggest names in tech, including FireEye, Autodesk, McAfee, EMC, and Oracle. She now serves on the board of Axon Enterprises, HeartFlow, and OpsWatt. Julie has a slew of awards to her name, including 2020's Cybersecurity Leader of the Year. Thanks so much for sharing your stories today, Julie. Julie, welcome. Thank you so much for being a part of our Watermark Women of the C-Suite podcast series. We are excited to have you today. Welcome. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here, Nicole. It's been a while since we've chatted, so I'm looking forward to catching up. Excellent. Well, I thought we might start it off with getting sort of that macro sense of, of you know, your career path. You know, most of us in our careers take twists and turns, and uh, and I'd love to hear about your journey. You know, what has that been like for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. I think less and less is it sort of this straight trajectory, and it's a, it's a lot of side steps. Um, and that was certainly my experience. Um, you know, the the one constant in my career has been I've been in tech since you know the day I graduated college, and that was not because I had some grand plan of I'm going to be in technology. I just you know wherever you get that first job, I think often sort of sets the stage for you know kind of where you're ultimately are going to end up career wise. And my first role was at Oracle. Um, and, uh, you know, they were growing extremely fast. Uh, I started in corporate finance, which is what my degree was in and really thought that my career would probably likely be some sort of career in the finance area. And because I got such a broad, um, preview or purview of what was going on in the organization, because everything comes back to debits and credits. I, I really got you know, in the first five years, there are really great learning experience of how the whole company worked and in some cases didn't work right and things that we needed to improve and I just randomly one day had a previous colleague from finance who had moved into the sales organization reach out and say hey there's this great opportunity in sales you should you should come do this and you know my immediate reaction was why would I do that? I have this great role here and, you know, uh, everything's going phenomenal. And then I realized, why would I not just give this a try? Um, I never expected to find my, you know, self in sales or the go to market side. And so I just went for it. And I ended up being in sort of a technical sales role, 
and just loved it. Um, you know, the, you know, really engaging with the customer makes you really now understand, hey, you know, not only how hard is it, right, but, but um, how important it is that the company has clarity around their value proposition and what they can do to help customers um, accelerate their businesses. So, you know, it was just this another great opportunity to have almost another career at Oracle and spent 10 years over there uh, when, uh, everybody was jumping ship to go to pre-IPO companies and the dot-com dot boom was going on. I, I made a move to a real small, small startup, which ended up not um, having the success that it had hoped. But again, it was such an amazing learning experience for me, right? Helped me understand, hey, what kind of size organization am I comfortable in? Um, you know, what types of solutions and business problems do I want to be engaging with customers around? So I feel like just as I was making these moves, it was always an opportunity to just say, hey, that didn't work out exactly as I had expected, but what did I learn from that and what am I going to take to the next role? So I went from there to another company, uh, Documentum acquired by EMC, was able to really, you know, was there standalone as well as acquired for six years, got some global experience, right? So with each of these moves, there was something that came that I hadn't had before. Um, ultimately made my way to my first cyber company, McAfee, um, and enjoyed that experience. They were acquired by Intel. I decided to make a move. Um, and in all of these roles that I was in during that time frame, it was very much go-to-market focused. I was there to um, help the sales organization do their best uh, with customers. And one day I'm in a role and I get a call from the new CEO at a pre-IPO company in the cyberspace and saying, hey, you know, I really love to have you join the team. And I was like, mm, gosh, I don't know if the timing's right, but let me come talk to some of the folks. Let's see. And in the whole conversation, um, never once was there a discussion about the role. And ultimately, when it got down to, hey, this does seem pretty exciting. It does sound like a, a new set of experiences working for a pre-IPO company. Uh, the role was the chief information officer, which I was like, I don't think you have the right person. I don't think that's the right role for me. That's not what I've done. That's not where my background is. And, you know, Dave was like, no, you get stuff done. You know how to build teams. You're a great leader. You understand the business side better than some of the business side understands it. Like, I, those are all the things I need. You'll hire the right technical folks to make things happen, but this is exactly what I need. And so I really made this move into IT leadership, security leadership at a company that was scaling and growing amazingly fast and went public nine months after I joined. So this was just, again, a whole new set of experiences and honestly opened up a whole new community to me as far as, uh, you know, just a whole new set of amazing people out in the industry that I could learn from did that for um, about four and a half, almost five years. And then I had an opportunity to really do something very similar at another uh, security company for Scout, joined them about five months before they went public, running all of business operations and the uh, information technology function. And what's most interesting about my tenure at Forescout is at a point in time, um, I was asked to take on the chief people officer role, um, which was really something very new for me. And as much as I had led people and I had worked closely with a lot of, you know, human resources organizations, I had never been responsible for, 
you know, really figuring out how to lead that team, but also do your best for all the employees. And, you know, to take on that role during a pandemic uh, or, or as the pandemic was starting, um, a whole new level of what do we need to do for employees uh, to keep them engaged. So a lot of twists and turns. I think, like I said, one thing is it's always been technology. And I think the other is it's always been a willingness to give it a try. What's the worst? If I'm not that great at this, I will go figure it out, right? I'll, I'll move on to something else or I will just roll up my sleeves and figure out what I need to do. So I feel really lucky, but you know, I, I, I certainly worked hard along the way. Is it so, so interesting as the CEO of, of Watermark, one of the things that I love is getting to hear about how people have done those twists and turns in their careers. And your story about saying, oh, I hadn't really thought about this as an opportunity, but going into it with curiosity. And I used to say in my own career, it's, if I don't have butterflies and sort of think, well, I'm not sure I can really do this, yeah. and not, I'm not going to have the energy and the excitement that I need in order to do the hard stuff. And so I just love, I love hearing about your twists and turns. Well, I, you know, I would think most people, if they kind of think about me and sort of my core DNA, they would not think of me as like a risk taker, right? Like, I mean, I, there is a very pragmatic, you know, sort of like, hey, this is sort of, you know, you got to do this before you do that. But I realized I actually was very willing to take risks. Um, because I realized that most of those choices, that there was very little downside, um, you know, but, but yet the opportunity and upside was so great, right, to really be able to say, okay, now I've done this and I've learned this. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's, it's been fun, uh, very fun. Very cool. Well, let me follow up on, on um, the pandemic question, because you took over as chief people officer in the midst of a pandemic. And then you also have all this cybersecurity experience. So when I think about the confluence of things that have happened just in the last couple of years with the growth of misinformation and cyber and hacking against our infrastructure, plus dealing with the pandemic, like wow, what 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 have you what have you learned from leading in this period of incredible crisis? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we all know, right, that that is really the the opportunity for for leaders to really test their their um, leadership skills. I mean, you know, when it's easy, you know, a, a lot of flaws, you know, can be hidden because things are going well, right, and you don't have. Um, you don't have to reach deep, right, to really, you know, motivate your team and, and keep your team engaged and committed when there's so many things going on outside their uh, control. So I guess I kind of look at it, there was three things all happening at the same time. So you've got employees and their their well-being, their family's well-being, you know, it, it is a priority. Because I ran all of technology, you know, I had to make sure that people could you know, even though we had to worry about, hey, is everybody healthy? Is everybody okay? I had to make sure that they could continue to be productive 100% remote uh, around the globe. And then there was this, okay, as we make some of these transitions and we're a security company, are we doing the right things to make sure that not only are we leveraging our own technology to do some of the, the, the work that needs to be done to protect these, these remote workers, it's, you know, what other things do we need to, you know, either did we have on the roadmap or we knew we needed to be doing, but just hadn't prioritized because there were so many things going on. It was like, you, you could no longer really um, ignore those things. So I do feel like it was, it was a really difficult time to have responsibility for all of that. Um, and <clears throat> I, I think what I did was, you know, try to 
put people first across all of those things, right? Um, and, and also at the same time, right, make sure that the rest of the leadership team and the executive team felt confident that, um, you know, that their teams could continue to be productive. Um, because that's what, you know, everyone, oh, it's two weeks, eh, it's maybe going to be a month, next thing you know, you know, there's still, you know, folks working remote. There was also that, you know, giving them some comfort that, you know, hey, some of the same uh, challenges we all have as leaders, making sure our teams are doing what they need to be doing, um, those, those principles apply whether they're working remote or in the office. And so also encouraging them to say, hey, this is your opportunity to to learn new skills in terms of checking in on them and not just how are they doing as a human, but hey, do you have the tools that you need to, to be successful? Um, so hey, it was a you know challenge for every leader. And I will say what I found is those first line managers were the key, key link in the whole thing, right? Because even if the executive team was doing the right things and saying the right things, if that person's direct manager didn't quickly pivot and learn how to how do I do this virtually and I don't have the luxury of all sitting in the office. Those were the folks that were tested the most, I think. And I think that's where you find where some people are more cut out for leadership than than others. Um, you know, because you don't have everyone sitting there outside your office or you know in the you know workspace where you can just check in with them physically, you need to figure out how to check in with them virtually. So it yeah, was it was a huge shift, a yeah. huge shift. I've heard this from others as well. Nicole, yeah. do you wanna do you wanna weigh in here? I could yeah. keep going. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I was actually just gonna just gonna lead in with a question to, to actually go back to something that you shared earlier about you know taking roles that were risky, where you didn't necessarily on paper have the experience. And, you know, there's so much data out there about how, you know, men could be 20% qualified for a job and they'll raise their hand and go, I want that job and they'll apply and they'll go for it. Whereas women, we look at a job description, we go, well, I've never been a CIO. I've never been a chief people officer. I'm not qualified to do yeah. that. And so it sounds like you had some mentors and, and colleagues who reached out to you and saw that you had the leadership skills to come on board and, and, and to take those roles. And clearly you took them and you were successful. But I want to unpack it a little bit because how did you do it? Like, how did you make that happen? Because I think you know, it's one thing to raise your hand and even get the job, but then, you know, to, to your, you know, the, the, the gentleman, I think you said that reached out to you and said, Hey, you can do this, you know, surround yourself with the right people. You know, what were some of the things that you actually did to then ensure your success? You know, what was the learning curve like as you stepped into those roles that, that were risky, that weren't in your core skill set necessarily? Yeah, so um, I, I do. I agree that you know, had these been opportunities that had been there that you know I came across, I would have in probably every case said, "Oh, I'm not qualified." This says you have to have been in sales, or this says you have to have done this, or so. I know that people, you know, definitely, you know, we want to check all the boxes. Um, having said that, I do think there was a little bit in me early on that. I was very inclined to raise my hands when something was presented. And, and I, I can even think, you know, this is before even my career, like people would be like, oh, we need somebody to, you know, lead this or do that. And I was always like, yeah, I'll do it. Um, and partially because I think I wanted to be the leader and not the person somebody else was saying, hey, and then you're going to do this and we're going to do that. So I do feel <laughs> like even though I probably would have never gone for these roles in a different sort of situation, 
I always have been kind of like, yeah, I'll do that. I don't really know what to do, but I'll, I'll do that. So I think a little bit of that was innate, but what did I do when I moved into these roles? And I think I got better at it over time. I, I you know, I, I think in, in each of these transitions, I realized, huh, I probably should have done this a, a, a little better and would take that to the next one. What I did was like, especially when it was a pivot to, okay, now it's a whole new, it's a whole new set of skills I need. It's like, I found the people that were really good at that, right? Like, so, you know, I moved into the sales organization. I found, okay, who are the best systems engineers and sales consultants? Oh my God, them. Okay. I'm going to get to know them and I'm going to watch them and I'm going to, you know, figure out what it is that they do. And I'm going to, you know, just copy them. Right. So, and I will tell you that where this really, really came, uh, became critically important was when I moved out of any sort of go-to-market operational role and into, you know, a CIO leadership role, um, I realized, hey, I don't have a network of other amazing CIOs, particularly in these fast-growing, you know, security SaaS companies. Like, I needed to build a new network. And I got connected to Coco Brown, who was like, oh my God, yes, I'm going to hook you up with these folks. And not only did she find me other CIOs that I could network with and leverage and, and benefit from, from just picking their brain, but they were women on top of it, right? So it was just like this, you know, to meet this amazing new set of, you know, executives and successful women, you know, in tech just made all the difference, right? And so I do feel like it was like, hey, look, I don't know all this. Um, in the cases where I had to make quick decisions, I just relied on, you know, hey, let's look at this purely from a risk perspective, okay? You know, because I almost felt like my team in some cases was trying to test me to like, okay, how's she going to handle this one? And every time I just took it out of a technical conversation and into a, okay, well, this plan doesn't create any sort of a geographical uh, you know, um, uh, you know, so, so for our, you know, high availability and failover, like to do these both on the West coast doesn't make sense. We ought to create some sort of, so it was just like, I didn't even, I'm like, I don't even need to know what data center it is. I just need to know, Hey, having, you know, one here and one only another 500 miles away really doesn't solve the bigger problem of what if there's some sort of catastrophe. So just relying on some of those basic business you know, decision-making skills that we've all, you know, you, you learn throughout the way just, you know, can kind of get you out of some sticky situations. But I had amazing people that I could be like, okay, are you dealing with this? Because here, this is like a big deal. And inevitably, they were struggling with the same thing. So I think those are the types of things you just need to do. It, it's okay to be like, I have no idea. I, I really don't know what I should do here, uh, but come up with a strategy for how you're going to figure it out. I think that's fantastic. I think that that um, having the network, um, the vulnerability to yeah. reach out and say, "Hey, I don't have all the right answers. Yeah. Uh, help me." Uh, but that sense of community with other you know, executives and female executives, I think that's a, that's a great takeaway. Yeah. Absolutely. Somebody who said to me once is like, "Your network is your net worth," and I thought that's such a great thing to to remember yeah. because, and I think there are a lot of women who feel like, "Well, I'm supposed to know everything," and our ability to ask questions and to be that that curious person and a person who can say, I don't really know what I'm doing here. So I've got to go out and find it. It's almost like you're a, I come out of the media world. So I think, Oh, you're like, just like a reporter. <laughs> this is, that's exactly what yeah. reporters do. 
Yeah, and I mean, I think there's a couple other elements. One, uh, you know, what I found, and I didn't, I wasn't really great at networking. I mean, you know, I, I was social. Um, you know, I was interested in meeting people, but I wasn't really, you know, I didn't see networking as part of my job description, right? Which now I definitely see it that way. So I will say I was probably a little bit of a late bloomer in terms of, and, and I had a situation that kind of forced me to say, okay, you need to, you need to get out there. And again, I was very much doing it because, hey, I want to do a great job at this. And, you know, I don't know what I don't know. And, and I want to have people that I can rely on. And I will say, particularly on the technology side, that people are so giving, um, you know, like in, in terms of like time and, oh my God, yes, I've dealt with this. Here's some thoughts. But, but I think the other was, is the, um, you know, this idea that if you just work hard, people are going to notice and, you know, hey, uh, and, and so people put all their energy into their job and they sometimes then don't actually see the advancement or see the recognition that they would think they would get because, man, I'm giving this my all. Um, and so I think that's what the, the, the network's really good at, too, is kind of giving you some reality checks on, hmm. Yeah, exactly. Let me just give you what my outside perspective is of what you're describing. And um, I think it was just, you know, it's just really eye opening to, to be able to say, oh, okay, you know, because we all get so tunnel vision. And, and I still think we all want to believe that somebody is just gonna show up one day and say, you, I've been watching you. Yeah. yeah. Instead yeah. of instead of hello, you should be watching me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's so great, Julie. Thank you. Um, so you you have have articulated a vision of leadership. I think that is, um, you know, I hesitate to say that it is particularly female because I know male men who lead this way as well. But can you describe, you know, if you had to describe yourself in a in a in a few words, it's like this is the kind of leader that I that I am, or here's my theory of leadership. Here's here's my theory of who's a successful leader. Yeah, I mean, this is always hard because I, you know, I get asked this question a lot of times. I'm like, God, I really prefer you ask the people that work for me. Sort of, you know, what is it that that, that you know they feel, uh, you know, makes me uh, a good or, or or great leader. Um, so I do think that part of it is just I have always had a um, I have a desire to want to connect with people as people, right? And so um, I, I think this uh, just showing interest in in everyone in your organization beyond who they are at work is really important. And I, I go back years ago, I had stepped into a new leadership role at Documentum and, you know, so I had inherited a team of, of um, systems engineers and a couple of operations people. And we were having like a big, like it was just like a lunch where like we were all sitting in a room and, you know, let's say there's 20 people sitting in the room. And somebody in the room said like their, their thought of me as a leader was because you always ask how my daughter's lacrosse is going or and that they were amazed at how I kept track of oh this person's got that or whatever and you know on occasion I would screw up oh you're not the one with the twin boys or whatever but point is and so what they did is they made me go around the room and say something personal about every person that had nothing to do with work and like I was able to just go around and be like oh and I know you really like whatever and so 
I think that makes all the difference in terms of when you now have to turn around and have a difficult conversation with somebody or, or you have to say, hey, look, this is going to stink, but we now got to go do what we, we just decided to pivot and all that stuff we were doing. Now we got to go do that. I think it just earns you some some ability to say, hey, look, you know what? Things are going to change here and, and we all need to kind of rally together. So um and, and I think there's always been an element of, hey, look, I am not unwilling to do anything. I'm asking my team to do it, you know, and, and I don't care. I'll give you an example. When I first started at FireEye, <clears throat> company was scaling quickly. There was a need to sort of re-architect the entire network. And it was going to involve like a 24-hour downtime. And the team was going to have to be there for 24 hours, replugging, reconfiguring, doing everything. So um you know we set up the whole thing or whatever and you know we've got the plan and you know i think we started at like five o'clock on a saturday or something like that and i show up and it, if anything they were all like why are you here <laughs> um, well, i figure if you guys have to stay up for 24 hours i'm going to stay up for 20 i mean like why is it that you should have to do this at a minimum i can bring you dinner like i'm not probably going to be you know playing with cisco switches but why shouldn't I be here with you? And again, that was just one of these things where at first they were like, okay, now this makes us nervous that she's here. But at the same time, then that became the thing where everyone's like, oh my God, she was here the whole time too. And hey, that's leadership, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, and we ran into a couple of, you know, hiccups or whatever. And I was not there to be like, oh my God, you've got to fix that. It was more like, is there anything I can do? Or, you know, do we need more people working on this or whatever? And, you know, I mean, that's leadership. Right. Yeah. I, that's, I think that really resonates. Um, and I think, you know, setting a great example, right. Um, through and through, um, I would love to know, Julie, what is particularly exciting and expire and inspiring to you now? Are there authors that you read podcasts you're listening to, you know, when you think about, um, you know, things that are, um, you know, again, particularly inspiring to you, are there things that, that are top of mind? Um, I, I'd say there's a lot uh, that that's top of mind. I mean, there's certainly um, what was brought up earlier around, hey, you know, what's going on in cyber ransomware like this, you know, it's, it's just this, this sort of ongoing escalation. Um, so I think that is something. And again, you know, when I think about, hey, you know, there aren't simple solutions to all of these problems. Um, and when you think about, you know, and, and certainly when I'm trying to work with either the companies that I sit on their board or companies that I'm advising, it's to, um, you know, be ready for if it does happen. Um, yes, be doing everything you can to prevent it from happening, but, but put as much, if not more energy into if it does happen. Is there clarity around you know, what decisions are going to be made in the heat of the moment. So, um, so I think that's sort of a very interesting and important topic. Um, but then there's all the other things, right, around diversity, around inclusion, uh, you know, around is it a pipeline problem or is it that people are just not, you know, they're not putting enough energy in trying to find those amazing diverse candidates. And more importantly, once they're once they find them, are they doing everything they can to, 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 to make them feel a part of it and to accelerate their careers, et cetera. So, I mean, I think those are all top of mind um, and I get involved in those in different ways. Um, so, you know, I mean, and I have more time for some of this now as well, 
Um, and so I'm trying to educate myself a lot more, right? Um, when you're in a full-time operating role and you're doing board work, you know, these are things where you're, you're I don't think you're able to put the time uh, or enough time, right? Really in, into going a few levels deeper on what's really going on. Um, so those are things that I feel like I have a little more time for now and, and I'm enjoying really trying to educate myself more, um, but give back where I can. I want to, uh, Nicole, I'm going to steal one of your questions. I hope you don't mind. Um, you are obviously in a transition right now, Julie, where you are, you're not in that full-time role. So you have some opportunities to think about what's next. Can you talk about what that process is like for you? Because it doesn't sound like you've had any time off during, you haven't taken any pauses in your career. Are you starting to get a sense of what you, is there the next hill you want to climb, the next mountain you want to climb per personally or professionally? Yeah, so I, you know, I ended up in this transition, um, you know, somewhat accidentally, meaning, you know, we all, you know, sort of are doing what we're doing. And then on occasion, something will happen that almost forces us to kind of say, okay, well, do I want to do this? Or would I rather, you know, do something else? And so I had the opportunity to through a acquisition and, you know, a transition to kind of say, hey, I need to think about what's next for me career-wise, and I don't think I would have really, I don't know that I would have made this pivot if that hadn't happened and kind of forced me to say, hey, let's really think about this. You've been doing this for 30 plus years. You know, you've got some boards now, like, is there an opportunity for you to sort of put your energy uh, in, in a different direction? Um, so I did make the decision to, to move away from a full-time operating role, and it's been six months, so it's not as if you know, I figured everything out, but, you know, so far six months in a pandemic too, right? It's not like a normal. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't like, Hey, I'm going to travel the world or do these things. It, it was more. And so I, so I, you know, I remember as I've watched a few other, you know, women executives and leaders make similar transitions, you know, where I've, I've been just like, Oh my God, I just would love to do what you're doing. And, you know, again, like, Hey, could I do it? You know, oh, that person's so amazing. I don't know if I'm as amazing as they are, whatever. But I remember distinctly Diana McKenzie saying to me, um, you know, cause people are like, Oh, you're retiring. It's like, I'm not retiring. I'm just pivoting into something different. And she was like, look, I'm probably as busy as I was when I was working full-time. Um, but it makes all the difference when you're choosing where you're spending your time versus, oh God, I got to go do this. Or oh, now we're, you know, making some sort of transformation. Got to go figure that out. That it's, it's, it, you know, you're, you're making more choices. Um, and I will say that um, as, you know, board work, super rewarding. The advisory work I do is really rewarding. I love working with these companies. Um, and I'm very, very committed to making sure that they're successful it, the truth is it's a different type of stress that comes with the type of work I'm doing now than the type of work I was doing before. And then add a pandemic or an acquisition or, you know, five other things that come up um, during that process. So I think that's, what's been most surprising to me is without even realizing it, you know, I don't have the Sunday scaries where it's like, Oh God, it's Monday tomorrow. And we've got a full day of this. And it, yeah. it and, and, and that's just something I hadn't realized. And I just feel like it was probably the right time. Um, and I have a lot of people saying, hey, in another year, you're going to be like chomping to get back into something. And you know what? Maybe they're right. 
Uh, but right now, um, I, I'm really, really enjoying having a little extra time and a little flexibility. Right. Very good. Are there things, Julie, that, that you adopted during the pandemic or practices or ideas um, that came out of the challenging times that we're emerging from now that you want to keep or that you think were great takeaways personally or professionally? So, I mean, I think in terms of kind of um, leadership, um, you know, I mean, I, I, I do think the pandemic forced me to, you know, I've always been an office person. I mean, I never have been a work remote or, you know, and I, for the most part, every company I've worked for, the headquarters has been out here and I've, I've had the ability to, to be pretty physically present. Um, so for me, it was a lot of, hey, taking all the things that I was good at in a physical world and trying to figure out how to do something similar in a virtual world in terms of staying connected to your teams and the people that work with you and your peers and all those kind of things. So I think there was a lot of extra energy in making sure that, you know, hey, not everything started with, a, okay, here's the agenda, you know, where are we on this, that there was time for people to have that hallway conversation or that what we would have talked about at lunch. Um, so I think it was, you know, sort of trying to say, hey, how do you, you know, how do you still stay authentic in this, this kind of virtual way? Um, and so it was just hey, being very prescriptive about making time for those things and, and checking in with folks in a different way than, than you, you felt you had to before. So uh, there, was, there was certainly that. Um, there was also like, if I look broadly at the organization, and again, there was a commitment from the rest of the executive team as well. It's like we stepped up communication in a big way. <clears throat> I mean, in, you know, where it used to be, hey, quarterly, all hands, it was, you know, every other week we were having all hands. Like, I mean, so all the things that, you know, just trying to keep people connected, particularly because it was more than just we were dealing with making sure our employees and their families were safe and healthy. It was our customers getting taken care of. It was, hey, we've now got private equity that have announced that they're going to buy us, right? There were so many things going on for people to, you know, to get distracted by, like, hey, how do, how do we keep people um, up to date uh, uh, what's going on? And a lot of times you can't answer questions, but as long as you're telling them, hey, look, here's what we do know, and here's what we know isn't going to change, that, that that was helpful. So there was a lot of those types of things that I think will will hopefully continue to move into the virtual world. I mean, I will say I don't miss some of the crazy trips that I used to take. Um, and I do think that we'll see more and more that 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 one day trip to, you know, the East Coast just makes less and less sense. Having said that, I don't think that, you know, boards are going to be all virtual all year. Right. Like, I think there'll probably be some some happy balance. Um, I had the opportunity to go to a face to face board meeting in April and um, I will tell you to sit in a conference room with other people, only one of which I had ever met face to face, and to actually just have like a normal conference room meeting where they brought in bagels was like amazing. Now, do I have to do that for every meeting? Of course not. But I think that, you know, those types of human connections only happen in the physical world. And so I do think there'll be some sort of balance. It doesn't have to be every meeting's face-to-face. -face. Um, but I also think one of the things we're learning is it's either face-to-face -face or it's virtual. 
hybrid doesn't work so well because somebody's always not like like the even playing field of everybody being virtual made all the difference the minute you start going back to that well a few people were in the room and a few people were you know dialed in i think you you lose something in terms of the level playing field so i think these are all things people are going to be struggling with is because everyone talks about hybrid hybrids harder than one or the other hybrid is harder i think you're right about that i'm hearing a lot of people worry about what's going to happen to women if it's more women choosing to be home more is that going to affect their ability to advance and i think it's a really important question yeah and I, I will say i i it, I think it, I, I think there's the gender lens on that, but I really think there's the, the lens in, in general as to, um, you know, cause I've got young, you know, so I've got a son that's 25, a daughter that's 23 and to watch them this early in their career be going through this, um, not only is there the, Hey, how do you differentiate yourself? How, how do you stand out? There's that, and then there's also the, the missed networking opportunities and the missed, frankly, friendships and relationships that they're almost more important than college relationships. Those first people you meet in those first couple of jobs, and you know, yeah. so I, I just, I, I really worry in general about how is career advancement gonna look moving forward um and also like part of me is like hey look the idea of people being able to just pick a place that that they want to be and be able to work from there it sounds so great but the minute you don't have that job anymore does that now put you in a situation where you're in a struggle to find so i think it's going to be fascinating and i will say i mean what went from hey we're not rushing anything i even now see in the bay area that you know, companies are saying a couple days a week, we want, you know, want there'll be some alternating schedules or whatever. Yeah. But this idea that every office is going to close and people are never going to have to go in again, I just, I think now that we're coming out of this thing, I think the, the reality is setting in with people that people are going to be in the office two, three days a week. Right. Well, this, I want to follow up on that because I have a daughter who's pretty much the same age as your kid, yeah. she's 27, and I have exactly the same worries, but it makes me think if you were to give a couple of bits of career advice to people in their 20s right now, I bet you're doing it at home. <laughs> Would you well, share it to others? me? I have a better shot with your daughter. Than <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll trade. Yeah. My daughter doesn't listen to me either. Yeah. Oh, I think, hey, I would I definitely do. And I have told my daughter and she actually has when she could taken me up on this. I do think I would start networking a lot sooner um, in, in, you know, just and again, there's going to be times in your career where it's harder to do than others or whatever. But particularly at this age, when you've got the freedom and flexibility, um, just get out there and meet people. And if there's a meetup, if there's a, you know, she's she sort of in the, you know, SDR, ADR world. It's like they have communities, they have get togethers. It's like, just go, you never know who you're going to meet. It could help you professionally. It could help you, you know, sort of business wise, right? You're like, oh my God, I met that person at such and such an event, you know, perfect icebreaker, right? So I would just encourage women to do more of that. Now, I also am a big believer in, in telling people there are going to be times where it's okay to just say no to all of that right because you're juggling kids you're juggling all these things that's completely acceptable as well but so do it when you can do it right 
yeah, really great advice, really great advice. Nicole, over to you. Yeah, no, I was just gonna just gonna ask, Julia, are there specific things that when you look back at your career, you've done to sort of mentor, empower, or guide other women? Um, or that are, you know, particular, um, or maybe just advice you would give to other women that are coming up? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, when I started my career, there weren't, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of focus or energy on, you know, women, you know, resource groups, or, you know, I mean, it, it was, you know, it was just not the priority at the time. And, and, um, Honestly, I always worked for the most part for West Coast companies where I kind of felt there was a little built in a little less of some of the the um, you know kind of challenges. You know, I felt like I had opportunities I didn't really feel like oh because I'm a woman I didn't get that or whatever I, I, I just I never really had that in my head. Um, but anyway, I, I mean i've seen tremendous progress, obviously, in all those areas, which I think is phenomenal, but what I what I wish I had done more of earlier in my career was speak up a little bit more on behalf of others, right? So, you know, things were different and um, people were not as, um, you know, self-aware or, you know, what used to be at least perceived to be okay to say, you know, now it's like you absolutely cannot say that. And the one thing I wish I'd done is advocate for other um people that I don't think were being heard. And I have not typically have a hard, had a hard time being heard. Um, but I know that there were situations where I was in where I could see somebody else was struggling to get heard and perhaps even kind of got ignored. And then when somebody else said something very similar, it got a lot of so all these things that we know, and, and you know, we, we have has really now been, you know, I don't want to say beat in test, but we now realize that all these things that were happening were, were you know, and I wish I had spoke up a little more. And now I have the confidence to do it. Like as my career came up, then I got to a point where I was like, I think somebody just said that exact same thing. But I wish I had been a little braver about that earlier. Um, but the other thing I would say is um, I encourage people to not to really focus on what it is that they can do to accelerate their career. And there's a few things you know, one is don't think anyone else is going to do it for you. You've really got to take charge of your own career early on. <clears throat> but I also encourage people don't always think that there's something deeper going on. Like maybe sometimes it's that you didn't handle the situation. <laughs> or maybe it is because that person had something else or did like I just try to make sure that folks don't just chalk it all up to, and that they really spend the time making sure like, hey, what, what can I do? What can I learn from this? What could I have done differently? You know, because I do worry that it just becomes a bit of a, well, it was because of I was a woman or it was because maybe not. Um, and, and trust me, I, I have flaws, right? <laughs> and I know what my flaws are. And honestly, I keep getting reminded what those flaws are. and. Then, you know, one day somebody said, well, maybe less about, you know, don't try to change yourself completely, but try to complement where those flaws are with some people that are really much better at that than you are. So you can kind of say, okay, you're the that person, right? So I just think it's, it's, 
you know, you, you got to take charge of your own career. You really have to be extremely self-aware and know that sometimes it has nothing to do with your gender or nothing to do with it. It's like, hey, you got to get better at that or you got to tone that part down and, and, you know, spend more time on your strengths. That's the kind of stuff that I just, I, I think people need to look at it in a little more holistic of a way. Um, and, and I think they need to educate people when they can, right? I mean, like, I, I, you know, like people don't know what their biases and blind spots are sometimes. And, you know, I think, you know, if handled the right way, you can really help people and say, hey, you know, I don't think you meant to come away across that way in the meeting, but this is kind of, and it's this whole, um, it's not about the intent, it's about the impact, right? Because everybody immediately is like, oh my God, I, you know, I did not mean, but it's like, it doesn't matter what you meant because I'm pretty sure you didn't mean that either, but this is how it was heard. And that's what you got to worry about is the impact. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just, you know, I mean, and again, we all get more confident as, you know, we, we, we get a little older and a little more experienced, but, um, you know, I, I saw things where it was like, eh, you know what, the, I, I probably could have, could have advocated for that person a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that self-awareness that you're talking about, that sense of objectivity about yourself and the situation you're in and your strengths and who complements that is such an important perspective to develop. I want to ask one last question. It's really part of this transition period of your life that, that I always find so fascinating. There's so much to be learned. And that's the other question that you keep bringing up. It's like, what can I learn from this? What a powerful question. But in this transition, you've taken so many steps out of your comfort zone in your professional life. What are you doing in your personal life right now during this transition that really gets you out of your comfort zone? I mean, are you skydiving <laughs> okay so yeah and, and this kind of goes back to that whole risk conversation much more interested in risks career-wise than risks like health and, and bodily injury wise um i'd say the biggest thing you know so um my husband and i uh we we just sold our home of 23 years in the bay area um we have a place up in central oregon that uh we have well, I didn't spend as much time because I was working most of the time, but, you know, it's been in our family for 20 years and it, it is a big part of our lives. And so that's someplace we want to spend time, but not full time. Um, and so, yeah, so we sold our family home of 23 years, which, you know, part of me was in a lot of this was because we were making a pivot and, you know, and then we bought a much smaller place that we're going to do some work on. Um, so I will still have my Bay Area, uh, you know, uh, home base, but you know, I mean, 23 years of the same house and going through that process of, you know, the easier thing would have been to just stay there, right? Because it's a lot of work and there's an emotional element to it and physical um, element to it. But um, so it's been more like us kind of figuring out, okay, there's lots of pivots going on here. So what does our life look like now that our kids are grown and all this kind of things? So, um, so that's where more of our focus is right now is, is you know, bigger transitions than just, just career really interesting yes it's like it is such an emotional process but it's also interesting to get to a certain point in your career and realize oh i have lots more years left and i can construct it in a way that feels yeah. right to me yeah like what is my sustainable life going to look like yeah yeah so and i mean i just realized now i just want more flexibility because i was extremely committed to my career and i was really physically committed to it in the sense of i was in the office on quarter end i was in the you know i mean like like 
it, to me, that was a big part of the whole thing. And, you know, I was the one cutting vacation loose because I had to get back to, you know, the office or whatever. And I have no regrets about that. But now that I don't have to do that, then there's other parts of my life that need to change. So I think you, you, you said something that probably resonates with many of our listeners, which is, you know, one of the things coming out of this pandemic is, is flexibility. And I think mm-hmm. we've all gotten a sustained taste of that. Uh, and, and I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be really uh, to your point. Exactly. I think we all want more of that. Right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, it's going to be hard to, yeah. hard to give that up. It's a really, it's a new vision of the way, yeah. of the way we can live. Yeah. And that's something I, well, I think there's also this other element for me too. I'm sorry, is this letting go of stuff, right? Like, so even before we decided to, to sell the house, you realize you really didn't need that closet full of crap, you know, the eight purses instead of like the two, like, like there was just so many other things that I realized that it, it it's just like, we have, we just accumulate all this stuff and for what? Um, and so there was that, and then couple that with the, the purging that we did. I mean, we got to a point where it's like, you know what? we're getting rid of everything, right? We're living in a temporary place. We have the bare bones that we need. And it's honestly the four bowls and the six plates. It's plenty. It's actually more than enough, right? Like, it's just like, there's been this purging that's also happened. And again, I think just time-wise, it's sort of all converged right around, you know, in the same time frame. but you just really realize it's like, ugh, you know, yeah, you don't really need all that crap. You don't really need all that crap. Well, that is a great, um, that is a great way to end. <laughs> That's a great way to end this podcast. Is thinking of being uh, so clear about what we need and what we don't need, what yeah. what works for us and what doesn't work for us. And so thank you, Julie, so so much. My pleasure for being with us today. This and, is fun. And, yes, and thank you so much. Thank you all so much for listening today. Along with my co-host, Nicole Ward-Parr, I invite you to check out all of our upcoming programs at wearewatermark.org. With leadership training and inspirational fireside chats with awesome coaches, entrepreneurs, and women business leaders every single week, we're dedicated to helping you become the leader you were meant to be. We hope you'll consider becoming a member, lend your expertise, or come to one of our in-person conferences. We'll learn, we'll connect, and we'll have fun, I promise. Hope to see you soon. Thanks again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.